going to put a picture up on the screen. This isn't a hard test. What do you call that? A fork in the road. So begins my introduction. A fork in the road. That's what we call that, a fork in the road. And life is full of forks in the road. But I don't want to talk about your life or my life. I want to talk about the life of Jesus as we enter as we enter our time to finish off uh, the first sermon in Acts chapter 2. I think about the life of Jesus where he hit forks in the road. I think about right after his baptism, he went into the desert and he hit a fork in the road where he was tempted by Satan and he had to make decisions about what he would do. Would he turn stones into warm bread? Would he allow himself to jump off the top of the temple so that the angels would catch him? Would he tempt God? Or would he bow to Satan and would he grab all of the nations, all of the world? What would he do? What would he do? This was the question. Forks in the road. I also think about that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he was crucified. What happened? He There he lays in the garden. He's sweating blood even Deciding what will the next step be, and he prays, not my will, but your will be done. I'm thinking of these forks in the road, these moments where he could have made one decision and rather made another. But neutrality wasn't an option. Forks in the road. But you have them too, I'm sure. If we were going to talk about your life, we'd talk about forks in the road in your life. Moments where you you had to make a decision. There wasn't a middle road. It was one way or the other. Well, that's kind of what we where we end this this study of Acts chapter 2. Now, we're not done with our series, the first sermons, but this morning we finish off Acts chapter 2, this first public sermon where Jesus was declared, crucified, risen, and ascended as King. And so that's where we pick up. We really close off this, this first sermon in Acts chapter 2, and what we're going to find is a fork in the road. Here it is. Take a look. Acts chapter 2, we pick up with verse 36. This is the last statement from Peter there in the sermon, and then we're going to see what happens next. Therefore, Peter says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, well, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, the promise is for you and your children and for all those far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. There it is. That's how, that's how it wraps up. It wraps up with a fork in the road. Peter declares this is the anointed one, king of the world. And the people, many of them, cut to the heart. Something had to happen. They had reached a point where either you walk, you submit, you walk with this king, this anointed one, or you go the other way. You reject him, you rebel, and you do your own thing. But there wasn't this middle, there wasn't this middle way. It was one way or the other. It was a fork in the road, and many of them cut to the heart, and they wanted to know, what do we need to do? Because they were convicted. And as Peter said, the Lord will call who He calls. And so, something was happening in that moment. We know the Holy Spirit was there moving, and God was calling. He was calling a group. And their hearts were convicted. 
And they moved in that conviction and they decided to then cry out, what do we do? And Peter says two big things. He says, repent and be baptized. The word repent there comes from the word metaneo, which means to change one's mind. Literally, it was a shifting, a turning of one's thinking. Something was happening on the inside. And when Peter calls out to repent, there's a hyperlink back to another moment to another moment where there was a fork in the road. It started this whole thing off, which is now culminating with this sermon. If you remember, when Jesus hits the scene in His public ministry, He starts telling people to do something. I don't think it's a surprise that Jesus is using that same word that Peter now is linking back to. It's how the whole thing got started. Matthew chapter 4, if you remember, Jesus hitting the scene says this, Matthew four seventeen. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Change your thinking. Something needs to change. And Jesus was calling people to do something. The very presence of Jesus there publicly, everywhere He went, was a fork in the road. You just couldn't take Jesus as a good guy. He didn't leave us that option. He didn't leave that option. You would either... Stay where you were or you would follow Him. These are the options. A fork in the road. And so when Peter calls out to repent, he's hearkening back to the message Jesus has always been preaching. You must change the way you think and you follow. You come. Again, no neutrality. There's no, no realm of neutrality here. It is to repent. And then he says this, that they are to be baptized. Interesting. That word there. It's actually the Greek word transliterated. It is brought into English. The Greek word is baptizo. It's where we get baptism. And there are some words in English that do this. They take the Greek word and they just convert them into English. And so we're just carrying with us a Greek word. Converted a little bit. And the word means to immerse. To literally go under. And that's what Peter calls them to do. And he ties ties forgiveness of sins and Holy Spirit to this act of baptism. These are all wrapped up together for Peter. This shouldn't be a surprise. Even when John the Baptist come, came preaching, he was preaching a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. It was a moment of exodus calling Israel to a new movement that God was doing a new work. God was returning to save His people. But now with the resurrection and the pouring out of the Spirit, this baptism now, a Christian baptism, will be tied not only to forgiveness of sins, it now will be tied to the Holy Spirit. Now that raises a lot of questions for us. We're not standing, none of us are standing in AD 33 in the temple courts in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. We're not hearing the call for baptism for the first time. You see, we have 20 centuries, 20 centuries of confusion around baptism. We have a lot of confusion. We don't get to hear the pure call to be baptized. If you're like me, when you hear this call from Peter in Acts 2.38, a lot of questions begin to emerge, especially with this link between forgiveness of sins, Holy Spirit, and this act of going underwater. Here's some questions that start to emerge. I don't think I'm the only one. Does baptism save you? Or we could ask it this way. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? What about people who can't be baptized? What if you're baptized as a baby? What do you do with all this? Well, let me give you this answer. Evasive, but still an answer. Here it is. Because this is the point I want to make. 
These are questions, important, yes, but they emerge from centuries of differences in Christian history. They are not questions that the New Testament struggles with or tries to answer. What we know is that in the early church, people were baptized when they made the decision to follow King Jesus. I will not stand here and conjecture about all of the options for baptism in our day. What I want to do is just teach what do, what do we find in the early church when someone decides to follow King Jesus. That's the goal here. So I'm just going to go, I'm taking the road of affirmation. I'm taking the road of what was, not what could be, and all the hypotheticals that could come under it. I know just a year ago, there was one of us laying on his deathbed, and he had just confessed Jesus. But he was days away from dying. And the family called me saying, he's confessed Jesus. We've been praying for years and years. Can we baptize him? There was no way this man was getting off that bed in his living room. It was frail. His breasts were every 20 to 30 seconds. And so I took a small bowl of water with a rag, and I just squeezed water over his forehead and his hands and his body. And we called that a baptism. And we believe God's grace can cover that. So I'm not going to walk through all the hypotheticals that we can have here. What I want to do is show what happened when the first sermons were being preached over and over again. And what we find is people would make a decision to follow King Jesus and then they would take their body and they would put it under water and they would come up again. It was only centuries later when you had all these different other options for baptism. But what we do here at this church is we're going to preach and we're going to teach what we see in the New Testament. So I want to take that journey together. Now, it's a bit of a tour de force, and you may get bored by example five, but I am calling you to focus. So come with me. Acts 2, verse 41. Look what happened right after the message preached. Those who accepted his message, what happened? They were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to the number that day. By the way, the verb... Be back, to be baptized is a passive verb. It's not something someone is actively doing. I don't know, maybe you've been baptized or seen it happen. You don't do much. You don't do much. I've never seen anyone jump into their baptism. They stand and they are put back. It is an, a passive act. So this is not a work. This is where faith and grace are meeting and grace saves a person. That's what's happening here. But 3,000 on that day, baptized. No theological debate. No question about the Greek verb. They heard the call and they were baptized. Let's take a journey now to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, we see the message of Jesus going into Samaria, a place that was cordoned off from the Jews, a place where not many Jews would go, but now the message of Jesus is going into Samaria. And here's what happens. Those people, when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And do not underestimate how revolutionary it would be that they are calling both men and women to come into the kingdom of God. This was not the realm of men. This was the realm of men and women, slave and free. It was, the, it was the realm of master and slave. It was, the, it was the realm of anyone that would come to follow King Jesus. And what we see is when the message went into Samaria, immediately 
They are baptized after following King Jesus. Well, then a little bit later in Acts chapter 8, we see a royal official from, from, the, uh, from the area of Egypt, from Ethiopia. And he's been up to Jerusalem. And now he's coming back, going back to his homeland. He's a eunuch. He's part of the royal court. And he's got the Scriptures open. He has the scroll of Isaiah. And he's reading about this one that would come and suffer for his people. And Philip, the same guy that just preached in Samaria, he is told by the Spirit to go talk to this Ethiopian eunuch. And the eunuch asks, who's this man talking about? Who's Isaiah talking about? And Philip says, ah, he's talking about Jesus. And so Philip tells him about Jesus. Here's what happens next. Acts 8, 36-38. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. On the same journey, he heard the message of Jesus, and on that same journey, there was water, and the eunuch was baptized. There's nothing... There's no great debate here. It is just simply hearing the message that changes everything and then making the decision to follow through baptism. Let's take a journey now to Acts chapter 10. This is the moment where the first Gentile hears the gospel. Given the opportunity to come into the kingdom of God, remember Jesus, king of the Jews, was supposed to be the king of the Jews and the Jews only. At least many thought so. But now God is opening up that kingdom to everyone. Jew and Gentile. The Jew and the non-Jew. Remember Peter said this promise is for you, you Jews, and for all those far off. Well, now those far off are coming into the kingdom. And Peter preaches the message to Cornelius. And the Holy Spirit shows up and moves in a powerful way. And then we come to these two verses, Acts chapter 10, verse 47 through 48. Surely, Peter says, surely no one can stand of the way of their being baptized with water. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, no great theological debate here. They hear the message of Jesus and then they are baptized. All right, let's go now to the next one. Acts chapter 16, verse 14 and 15. This is Lydia standing at the water's edge. Paul and Silas move into town. The Lord opens Lydia's heart to receive the message. And here's what happens next. After opening Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's message, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. So she's heart, her heart is open. She hears the message of Jesus. Her and her household are baptized. It's just as simple as that. It's just part of the movement of the kingdom of God into the Roman world. The message goes out and people, some people, repent and are baptized. Take a look at what happens next. Silas and Paul, well, they're imprisoned. But God saves them, releases them in the middle of the night. And the jailer, who's supposed to be watching them, has quite a fit because he, he will be killed if it's discovered that he let, a, he let a prisoner escape. But what Paul and Silas do is they preach the gospel to this, this, uh, this, uh, this jailer, uh, the one keeping the prison. Here's what we read, Acts 16, 31-33. This is in Philippi. Paul and Silas said, he's saying this to, to the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household 
were baptized. So they hear the message. They receive it. There is repentance as he washes the wounds of those that he had beaten. And then he is baptized. It's really that simple. No theological debate, no hypothetical. It is simply hearing the message and then being baptized. Then we'll take a look here. This next passage, Acts 18, 8. We are now in Corinth. The message goes into Corinth. We read this. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Believed and were baptized. It was a moment where they said, I'm in. And then I will follow King Jesus and they submit their lives and they go underwater and come out over and over again. And even the Apostle Paul, you remember the Apostle Paul as he was going to Damascus from Jerusalem to the north to persecute another group of, of new, newly converted Christians. He has a vision of Jesus, the risen Jesus, the reigning king of the world. And Paul is blinded after the vision and so he is then taken into the city. And God comes to another man named Ananias and says, you know, you know the terrorist that has been killing people in your community. I want you to now go to him. You can imagine what Ananias is thinking at the moment. Go to Paul, the, Paul, the, Paul, the one that has been killing all of us. Now at that point, his name was still Saul. You want me to go? You want me to go to Saul? You want me to go to the one that kills people like me? And God says, yes, you go. And so he goes to Saul, who still Saul, blinded, and he tells Saul, you must now make a decision. God has called you. He's called you to something special. And as Ananias tells, tells Saul, who will be Paul, what God has told him to say, here's what happens. Acts 22, 14 through 16. Then Ananias said, he's saying this to Paul, the God of our ancestors has chosen you. To know His will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from His mouth. You will be His witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on His name. Even Paul. Paul, in that moment, as his sight is coming back, is told, Why are you delaying? Go, put, go, get baptized, and wash your sins away, and enter now the kingdom of God. There's no theological debate, no big, heavy discussion, no argument over hypotheticals. It is, you, it is hearing the message and then being baptized. That's what we see over and over again. I don't know how all those other scenarios work out. That's not for me to figure out. What I am called to, what you are called to, what we as a church proclaim is this very thing we see happening over and over and over again. We proclaim that. That's what we do. And so when we speak the message of Jesus, then we call people to the fork in the road. And that will include repentance, belief, baptism, all of that's involved here. Not because we made it up, because we see it happening over and over again. And so let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. Let's take it just one notch deeper. Make it, make it a little more intimate for your life and my life. Here's how I want to summarize everything we just saw. It's in baptism that a person's life is connected to the life of Jesus. Their story is woven into His story. It should be no surprise that the message of Jesus is a message about this real human being. 
God in flesh, living in the power of God, come into the world to take on all the suffering and joy of the human experience, then killed by His creation, then brought back to life by God the Father, ascended into heaven, now reigning over the world. No surprise, that story, that story that involves a dying, a burying, and a coming back to life would be then the thing that we are called to. We being called to then enter that life, to die to yourself, and then emerge a new person in the life of Jesus. His story becomes our story. My story then gets weaved into the, resurrected, the resurrection story. That's where all that hope comes in. It's now my hope. That resurrection now becomes my hope for resurrection. His crucifixion now becomes my crucifixion as I die to myself, as I walk into new life. Baptism is the weaving of that story with my story. Now, I'm not just making that up. I'm just really plagiarizing Paul. I just said it less eloquently than he did. Because I knew this next, ver- these, this next passage was on the horizon. I just want you to think that it was some profound thought I might have had. No, I'm just really pulling it from Paul. Wanting to bring you to the aha moment. Wow, everything Jason just said, man, it really sounded good. What if the Bible said that? It does. I just, I knew it did. I knew it did. Romans 6, here's how Paul talks about it. Romans 6, 3 through 4. He's reminding the Romans of their baptism. He tells them this, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus, what happens? were baptized into His death. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism isn't an arbitrary act. It it is an act that reenacts the story of Jesus. Every time someone is baptized, they retell the story. They tell the story of the burial and His resurrection. And that then weaves into your story. Because now you're connected to His life. And so when we remember our baptism, we remember the going under and the coming up. We remember that we died to ourselves and we came back to new life. It's all there and this happens over and over again. There are so many other Scriptures we could use, but for time's sake, we leave it right there at Romans 6. But that's what's happening. And that's what the early Christians were called to. Join your life to His life. Die and come back to life as He died and came back to life. That's the call. Alright, so let's make some application. Now, you would imagine this application is actually pretty easy. It's really, and you're going to go one of two directions here. So, for those that have not been baptized, those who haven't gone under the water making a decision to follow King Jesus, or maybe you've made a decision to follow King Jesus, but you've never made the step in obedience to be baptized, well, your next step would be to be baptized. I, mean, I, I don't. I, I'm really. I'm not trying to overcomplicate this. It's a fork in the road, probably, for you, and you need to be baptized. Now, let me use the words of the Bible here because I can't do better. I'll say to you what was told to the Apostle Paul. Now, if it can be said to Apostle Paul, I feel like you're, it, it can be said to you. All right. Now, I'm saying you because I've been baptized. I don't know about y'all. I'm just saying you, okay? Here it is. Acts 22.16. Remember what Paul, Ananias told Paul? What are you waiting for? I'm I'm putting a little bit. I'm putting a little interpretation here. 
Like, what are you waiting for? If you, if I'm talking to you, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. You just don't do it right now because we need to get our baptistry done. All right? We'll take you to a pool, but we can't do it right here. All right? Although we could have an assembly line and fill it up with pitchers of water, but all right, you get it. You get it. Like, what are you waiting for? You could say the baptistry to be finished. Good. That's appropriate. Touche. But you get the point. If you are at that moment, or if you're watching online and you've just never made that step of obedience, then you need to be baptized. You don't have to be baptized in this church. You can go be baptized wherever. Go find water, go under it, and come up. And let someone do that to you as you die and you come back to life. So that would be your application. Alright, so what about the rest of us? Maybe those who have been baptized. Here's the next one. Here's the next application. The other way we could go. Remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. Remember that water called you into this new life. And baptism says that you have been, your story has been woven into His story. And so you remember this. You remember that your everyday life actually matters. How you talk to people in your house matters. Because your story is now part of His story. And His story has taken in all of the human experience. How you drive matters. I don't want to go into what we did last week, but let's just be honest. How you drive matters. How you, how you interact at work. How you use your money. How you talk online. How you treat family members far away. All of it matters because your story and every part of your story, how you eat dinner, how you cook your food, I mean, it all comes into His story. Because His story takes in everything, every part of life. And so you remember your baptism. That you are no longer your own. Your story is now part of His story. And you have a glorious future with Him as an individual in His great kingdom in the community of believers forever and ever. That is your destiny. As your story is woven into His story. That's what your baptism is calling you to. There's a reason that Paul reminded the Romans of their baptism. Calling them to remember. To remember. Now what in the world do you do about a next step here? What in the world? Well, we're going to talk about that right here. Next step. I'm going to let you read it while I take a drink. Every time you see, hear, or drink water, remember your baptism and the life you share with Jesus. I just remembered my life with Jesus. For all of you who like to play jokes or make jokes, this is water. I'm going to leave it right there. Because enough of you have asked me about it being other things. Okay. I'm just going to leave it there. And if you know me, I drink out of this all the time. But this week, as I drink out of this big mason jar, I'll be remembering my baptism. I remember not just my baptism, I remember that my life, my story, is woven into His story. It means what I do at home when I talk to my kids matters. It means what I look at, what my mind focuses on, all of it matters. So let water, let just something as ordinary as water remind you who you are this week. And if you have not been baptized, let water be a constant reminder of the next step you need to take if you follow King Jesus. So let water 
that annoying thing you have to do all the time, drink water to survive, let it remind you of the thing you need to do. Now, if you never drink water, because you're one of those that always drink something else, like Coke or Diet Pepsi, Diet Coke, just remember, all of it was made with water, too. You're not, you don't get out of the woods, all right? And assuming you take showers or baths, all of it, all of it, anytime you touch water or look at it or see it, you remember your baptism. And remember your story. It's woven into his story. Or it could be if you're baptized. All right, let me pray for Father, thank you for what you did so many years ago, calling people to your son, King of the world, Lord of Lords. And that you gave us a sign, you gave us this symbol to teach us and to allow us to participate in the burial and resurrection of Jesus. And so well, whoever needs to be called to that next step of obedience and baptism, call them there. Would you bring to mind the baptism that many of us have already gone through, that our story is now woven into your son's story? Father, I pray as you bring people to a fork in the road, that they would make a decision, a decision for King Jesus. I pray that under his authority, all of it.